uh, looking back at Romans chapter number 8 this evening. Um, I actually went through and counted this afternoon, and this will actually be the 46th message out of the book of Romans. So we have been looking at the book of Romans for 46 services, and uh, I don't know that we've quite scratched the surface yet, to be completely honest, but we are going to be looking at specifically verses 12 and 13 this evening. So Romans chapter number 8, verse number 12 and 13 say, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So if we look specifically at verse number 12, it points us back like Paul does ever so often through the book of Romans. He says, therefore... And uh, one of the interesting things about that particular word that I was looking up, it, the, way, the way they would have read it, or the way that it would mean to us, Paul says, wherefore, therefore. He actually uses a word that combines two words together. And he's saying, because of, because of. And what he's doing is he's emphasizing the verses that he just said. He's emphasizing what he had just said. So if we think back to what Paul's been saying, specifically in chapter number 8, we saw there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that the law of the spirit of life is how Christ has made us free from the law of the spirit of sin and death. Verse number 3, the law couldn't do anything because it was weak to the flesh. So God had to send Christ. Verse number four, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled through us or in us by Christ fulfilling the righteousness of the law for us. And that's particularly what Paul is going to be pointing to in these verses. But as we continue down through there, he he emphasizes that we can't be carnally minded and spiritually minded at the same time. That the carnal mind is an is an enmity with God. The carnal mind is an enemy of God. And Paul uses these words carnal and fleshly kind of alongside of each other. And he's saying if we look at ourselves, the carnal mind or the fleshly mind or the mind of that old man is an enemy of God. We understand from chapter number 6 and chapter number 7 that Christ has put to death that old man on the cross... So what Paul is saying in those verses is saying, why would you have the mind of somebody that has already been defeated and you've changed, in essence, changed sides? Why are you going to be acting like you're still an enemy of God in your mind when you've been brought out of that? And because of what all he has said there, and he says in verse 11, he said, the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So what Paul's saying, he's saying all these things that were enemies of God, God has changed these things. God has given you a new mind. 
He has given you a spirit so that you can walk in newness of life. And this brings us into verse number 13, verse number 12 and verse number 13. Paul says, therefore, because you're no, under, no longer under condemnation, because God has, through Christ, given you a new mind, because that old mind is an enemy of God, because of all these things, we are not debtors to the flesh. And so I want to look at three things tonight. I want to look at the debt that Paul talks about the death that Paul talks about, and then the development or the progress that Paul talks about. Um, I hate alliteration, but for some reason I can't stay away from it. So it is, it is the development in the sense of a progress. But So first of all, Paul says here, he says, Brethren, we are debtors. What the word debt there means, it's an obligation. It's something you're obligated to do. But Paul is conveying to the Romans that this is not a legal debt, but it is a love debt. It's not a debt in a legal sense, but because of love. It's not a loan, so to speak, how we would think about it. It's not a debt like a loan, but it's a debt because we've been saved. Our life has been saved. When we all kind of come down to it, it's a gospel debt. It's a gospel obligation. And that's what I kind of want to look at tonight is killing sin is a gospel obligation. If we think about a, a debtor, somebody who is, who is in debt for something, I'm sure we can all think about times that we've been in debt in some way, shape, or form ourselves. Whether it's been a house or a car or a credit card or whatever it may be, we've been in debt. There is a, a white vehicle that's sitting out in front of the building out here that is part mine and part belongs to Ally Finance. I am a debtor to them. If I don't pay my bills for a couple of months, guess what they're going to come and do? They're going to come and reclaim that debt. That's not the kind of debt that Paul's talking about. The kind of debt that Paul is talking about here, the kind of debt that we owe, is the same sense as if Ally Finance called me tomorrow and said, you know that debt that you owed us for that car? We're just going to get rid of it. You don't owe me any debt anymore. After that's done, legally I don't owe a debt to Ally Finance. But I will tell you one thing. If they called me and said, hey, your debt... Don't worry about it. We've taken care of it. The next time somebody talks bad about Allied Finance, I'm going to say, no, they're probably the best finance company I've ever heard of. And I'll go around telling everybody, hey, if you want to get a loan, go through Allied Finance because they forgave my debt. The sad part about that is if they did that, they wouldn't be in business very long. But God isn't that way. The Bible tells us that he is rich in grace. He can't run out of grace. So what God is able to do is he is able through the payment that Christ gave, because that payment took care of everything, he can through those riches pay for the death that we owe to sin. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. We have to pay up when it comes to sin. 
when it comes to that old nature, we have to pay. And what we've read down through chapter number 8 is we can't because the law through the flesh is weak. The, 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 the debt that sin demanded, the debt that the law demanded, we couldn't fulfill. So Paul is saying to the Romans, he's saying, you're no longer a debtor to the law. You're no longer a debtor to sin, but you are a debtor to God. And that's our motivation. That obligation is a motivation because we look at what God has done and that motivates us in a debt of love. I know back from when I was younger, there would be different cartoons and stuff that would come on. And, you know, there would be all, always be one guy that he, would, he was like a native of a country or whatever. And he'd get saved and he'd tell the guy, he's like, I'm forever in your debt. And everything the guy did, he was always right there beside of him, almost to the point of annoyance. But that's kind of the idea that Paul is conveying to the Romans. He's saying, this is the kind of debt you're under now. You don't have to. You don't have to do any of these things. But because of what he's done, you are a debtor to God. You are a debtor to that gospel. If we were to look back over in Romans 1, verse number 14, Paul says in Romans 1, 14, he says, I therefore am a debtor both to the Jew and to the barbarian, to the rich and the poor, the learned and the unlearned. Paul said that he was a debtor to those people. It was something that he owed them. Now, Paul didn't physically owe them anything, but what he was saying is because he had been given the gospel, he owed it to people to tell them the gospel. That's what he, he writes 14 chapters in Romans to a group of people because he's indebted to people he's never met. And that's what we've been given. We've been given a debt of love to God which in us produces that same debt of love that is paid out to the people around us. I wish that I could have tied everything together today as well as was done, but I, I couldn't. It wasn't something that I could do, but all of what we've talked about today ties in together. We are here, even from the beginning this morning, talking about that vertical and horizontal love. And that's what God is saying. You owe this debt, or Paul is saying, you owe this debt because of what God has done. This is an obligation. But he goes on, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh. It's the same, again, it's the same debt, but it's not to the flesh. The fact of the matter is the debtor to the flesh must pay that debt. Paul's saying you're, we're, not, we're not here to live in such a way that we're paying the debt back to the flesh because we're no longer, we no longer all owe that debt. We're no longer responsible or obligated to pay that debt. And as I mentioned before, we pay this debt from the wages of sin. And ultimately, the wages of sin, as Ephesians tells us, is death. That's how we pay that debt of sin. We die. But thankfully... Christ has died for us. And all of these things are tying back together. This debt that we owe is not to the flesh because Christ has paid that debt for us, so we're no longer to live like we're paying a debt to the flesh. If Ally Finance calls and says, your debt's been paid, I shouldn't live the rest of my life trying to send checks in 
to ally finance because the debt has been paid. But as Christians, what we have the tendency to do at times is to try and pay a debt back to the flesh that's already been paid. We live in such a way that we are, we are living towards a, a debt that we seem like we owe to sin. And Paul is saying you don't owe this debt to the flesh. There's been a lot of talk in the past couple months about what businesses are essential and what businesses aren't essential and if church is essential or church is not essential or all of these different things. And what Paul is saying, he's saying that this holiness that he's getting ready to talk about, it's not optional, it's essential. If we're going to live in such a way that we reflect what God has done, if we are going to be live in such a way that fulfills the obligation of the gospel, it's essential that we live in holiness as God is holy. Because he's the only one that's holy. And that's what Peter said. He said, come out from he said, he said, You have been you've heard from the Old Testament to come out from among them and be separate because God is separate. We are living in a way that reflects that debt, that obligation that the gospel has given us. As we continue down through, it tells us some other different aspects of this. So we can kind of understand the debt or the obligation. But secondly, we see the death, which Paul draws when he uses the word mortify. And there's four different ways that we can see how this word mortify impacts our life. Paul talks about the who, the what, the how, and the why here in this verse. He says, for if ye... So that's the who. He goes on and he says, live after the flesh... Ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So the who is you, the what is mortify, the how in the text is through the Spirit, and the why is ye shall live. And again, I don't I don't want to try and convey that Paul is saying something that he's not because we understand from all of Rome, the book of Romans that we have gone through up until this point that Paul is not saying if you don't do this, you are going to die that second death. He is saying this is what you do when you aren't going to die the second death. He's saying this is what is essential in your life if you have been brought out of enmity of God and put into Christ. So we see the who. If ye, in verse number 13. Again, this is not to gain favor, acceptance, or salvation. Paul isn't saying if you mortify the deeds of your body in such a way that God's going to be more accepting of you, or that if you do mortify the deeds of your bodies, God's going to have more favor with you, or if you do mortify the deeds of your body, God is going to complete salvation in you because what he'll go on to say is that glorification is unstoppable. We can't do anything to stop what God is going to do in our life, but he again is giving us the picture of what this obligation looks like. Specifically in this verse, he says, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
what Paul is pointing to here and what we'll continue to see as we move down through these other aspects is that it's not anything that we can do in ourselves that is going to produce this life that he talks about. Actually, over in a book that uh, John Owen wrote, it was a book with a lot longer name than this, but it's, it was Killing Indwelling Sin in the Life of a Believer is the short name for the book, if you can believe that or not. But he said, mortification from self-strength carried on by self-invention unto the end of self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion. Again, if we look at what he said, he said mortification. So getting rid of this sin, getting rid of these deeds of the body that's done from our own strength and by our own invention to the end of our own self-righteousness is the substance of all false religion. What Paul's saying when he says that if we live after the flesh, we shall die, in, in terms of our mortification, if it's something that we are doing ourselves, we're going to die. We can live, as, we can live as, as morally upright as we want, but if we're not doing it through the Spirit, it doesn't matter. It's going to do no good for us. I can put all the standards that I want on someone, but if they're not doing it through the Spirit, it's going to be of none effect. If you look at women in the Middle East, they are some of the most modest women on the face of the earth. They wear as a hijab, I think is what it's called, where you can only see their eyes. But that work that they're doing every day, getting up, putting on something where nobody can even see their face, that's not affecting anything with them spiritually because it's not a work of the Spirit. And that's why when Paul is going down through these things, he's pointing out to us that we can't take the scriptures to browbeat people into doing things because the Spirit has to do that in them. The reason, again, that we see so many that seemingly have acted in this mortification of their flesh, but it is of none effect, it's because it's not done through the power of the Spirit. We are responsible, but we're dependent on the Spirit. It's the Spirit taking His Word and applying it to our life that does the work. We can't take the Word of God and apply it to our life on our own, and we can't take the Word of God and apply it to somebody else's life on our own. The Spirit is the one who has to do the work, and it's only going to be seen when He does it. So we see, who, if ye... So we're looking at what? He said, if ye do mortify the deeds of the body. Interestingly enough, when Paul writes these sections of Scripture, if we look back at 12 and 13, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, and then he says, the deeds of the body. So why is Paul changing his wording there? It, it, it doesn't seem to jive. You would think that Paul would say that if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. That's what you would think Paul would say. But we've gone through Romans far enough to know or to give an indication 
of what Paul's talking about. Because in context, we can look back to chapter number 7. Chapter number 7 and verse number 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the what? The body of death. We remember from chapter number 7, Paul is saying, I'm carrying around this dead body on me. This dead body of my old nature, I'm carrying it around. I'm struggling with this thing. What Paul does in reverse from that is he said we need to be living a life slowly getting rid of the dead body that we're carrying around. He's saying we are to mortify the deeds of the body. He's pointing us back to what he's already said. The mortification that he uses, there's a couple of interesting things in that word. The word mortification, we understand, means to cause something to die. I mean, you can, you can easily think of a mortician just from that word in English. But the word means to, make, to cause something to die, but it can also mean to liberate from. And that's what a mortician does. He liberates the body from the blood. He liberates the decay from the body. He starts to liberate all these things, and we, we know, just like we were talking about Wednesday night, that those bodies still decay, and they turn into a little swamp. Gases and all kinds of nasty stuff come out of it because that's what we produce. That's what we give to God. We give to God works of our body that will one day turn into some swampy soup and stink. That's what we're trying to give to God when we come to him outside of the spirit. But what he said is we are to liberate or to mortify the deeds of the body. So what Paul's calling us to do is he's calling us, taking his analogy from chapter number 7, saying the body that you're carrying around, that dead nature that you're carrying around, you still have all these habits, all this decay that's coming off of that nature that Christ has killed for you. And your job is through the work of the Spirit to liberate yourself from this body of death. Now, we remember from chapter number 7, we cannot do that through the law. It's impossible. The law only makes sin stronger. That's why Paul says we have to do it through the Spirit. The only way that we can begin to mortify or to liberate ourselves from these deeds that we used to do is through the work of the Spirit. This word mortify, it also is a present tense word. It's a continual word. It's a process. It's habitual. Until we die physically, we will be mortifying ourselves spiritually. The process of our life is to get rid of our death, if I can say it that way. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to, you, to mortify the deeds of that old nature, those things that you're carrying around. So we can see the development of how this happens or the process of this mortification. I was reading after a guy named Greg Nichols and he put this in a way that that helped me understand what Paul was saying when he uses the word mortification. He talks about how this is played out and he uses the example of a man who has a really bad temper. He said, so we have this man, he has a horrible temper. Before he got saved, 
if you looked at him the wrong way, he was going to punch you in the face. And I know this is probably not, I didn't know him that long, but from the stories that I heard, Brother Ray would have been that way. Before he was saved, he would have probably just punched you in the face. And there were some stories that I've heard from Preacher Richie and a few other people that some of those tendencies could come back. But there was a difference. And we'll, you'll kind of, maybe that analogy will kind of come to bear as we walk down through some of these things. But he mentions the degree of sin. So we will see mortification played out in the degree of sin. So he, said, he mentions this man. He's, this man gets saved who would, if you looked at him wrong, he would punch you in the face. Well, the Spirit starts to work in his heart, and you look at him wrong, and he cusses you out and punches the wall instead. A year later, you look at him the wrong way, and he just starts to cuss you out. A year after that, he walks out the door and is just outside hollering at somebody who knows what. A year after that, you can see him get mad and he just walks out. And a year after that, he seems to be okay. Now, there are times that you can see the degree of these things come back, but what's happening in that man's life? He's moving. He's being mortified. Those, that, that heaviness of that old man that was on him is beginning to come off because he's through the power of the Spirit mortifying the degree of those sins. That's why we have to be careful when we look at people and think, well, that did you see what they did? They cannot be saved. Because we don't know what degree of mortification the Spirit has worked in their life. The Spirit may work the degree of mortification slower in some people's life than it does in others. But the fact is, we can look at our lives and at the life of others and see that degree of mortification happen. Now the difference is, is when you have the guy that punches you and cusses you out and says he's a Christian and there's never any change at all. The degree may change, but something is going to change. So he gave the example of the degree of sin being reduced by mortification. Secondly, he gave the idea of the frequency of sin or the rate of sin being reduced. So this, this same man who used to once a week was getting into that fight. Once a week he was punching you in the face. Now, it's every, once every month he's punching you in the face. And then once every year, he might punch in the face. And, you know, five years later, it's once every six months that he's, he's even getting mad at you at all. We see the, the frequency of that sin is being reduced because the Spirit is working to get rid of those old things. And ultimately, we will see from chapter number 8, Paul is pointing this to glorification. The Spirit, what he is doing is he's getting rid of everything that doesn't exemplify Christ. He's getting rid of all of the old man so that the new man can be seen. We're to walk in that newness of life and display that new man to others. So we see the, the degree of sin, the frequency or the rate of sin is reduced. But thirdly, the duration of sin is reduced. Repentance comes quicker the farther we go down the road in mortification. So where 
he may would punch you in the face and it would be two years later he would come and apologize. Years down the road, he might hit you and then six months later he would apologize. And coming down the road, he might blow up and have a, have a temper at you and then a week later he's calling to apologize. And you may even get to a point to where you didn't even know he was mad but ten minutes later, he walks up and says, I'm sorry. I had an anger towards you. You see the duration of the repentance becoming quicker and quicker because he's not being weighed down by that old, nat- old nature, that old man, that deadness that he's carrying around on him. That's what the process of this looks like in our life. We see the degree being reduced, the frequency or the rate being reduced, and the duration being reduced. That's how mortification happens. It's not all at once, and it's going to be something that we deal with over our whole life. But we will deal with it if we are dealing with it. And that brings us to the next point. How? And we see from the text, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of of the flesh. Gospel mortification only comes by the Spirit. And as we said at the beginning, we are dependent on the Spirit. That doesn't take away our responsibility. What we end up getting into in most of Christianity, in salvation and in sanctification, is we go to one extreme or the other. Either we are completely responsible and God is not responsible at all, or God is completely responsible and we're not responsible at all. But that's not according to any scripture anywhere. Every scripture that we read says that we are responsible and God, and we are dependent on God. There is no, there is no either or. It's like marriage. It's 100% and 100%. There's no... We meet God halfway. God does all the work and we're responsible. I know, I know the, the analogy or the example has been used before. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, did he write it or did the Spirit write it? Well, the answer is yes to both. And when it comes to us mortifying our flesh, do we mortify our flesh or does the Spirit mortify our flesh? And the answer is yes. We both are there. But it doesn't happen outside of the Spirit. Else we end up in false religion. We end up in some some weird aspect. The cults that you see that walk around in different places, they may call themselves Baptists. There's one in Texas. They, they uh, protest military funerals. But what they've done is they have, as we had said, through their own strength and their own invention, lifted them up in self-righteousness. They have created a false religion because they are not achieving these things through the Spirit. They're not pointing people to these things through the Spirit. They're taking the Scriptures outside the Spirit of God and trying to place them on people without the Spirit. And And it doesn't work. We cannot mortify the deeds of the body without the Spirit. So we've got the how and then the why. And we see that in the end of verse number 13. It says, If ye do through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So why? Why are we doing these things? Because the end of mortification is life. And again, Paul is not saying that if you don't do these things, you're going to lose your salvation. 
Paul isn't talking about our position before God, but he's talking about the way our life looks. And if we look at this thing from the context of Romans chapter number 8 specifically, we are looking at what God is doing in our life. When we get to verse number 18, and then especially in verse number 28 of Romans chapter number 8, Paul is telling us that glorification will happen. We will be made like Christ. That is God's plan, and there's nothing that anyone can do to take us away from that. Paul will say, who can, who can, who can stop this? Can anybody stop it? No one, because he said we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. The end, the conqueror, and, and it's, it's no mistake. And I know when we, when we look at the scriptures in, in, in a way that we take verses out and we use them in our own context, we miss what God had to say. We edit God. If we can even think of doing such a thing, we take a pen and we edit God to say what we want to say. But when he says that we are more than conquerors in verse number 31 or 32, he's pointing us back to what he's just said. He's talking about this body of death. He's talking about this mortification. He's saying you are going to be more than conquerors. You're not just going to defeat and leave little remnants of your flesh laying around all over the place. But you are more than conquerors. Christ has promised that our flesh will be obliterated. They'll, when we get into a glorified body, when we see him as he is, and we are like him because we see him as he is, there will be no representation of that old nature whatsoever. Nobody's ever going to look at Brother Charles and say, you remember what you used to be? He's, is, there's going to be no, there's, there's not, not any part of the fleshly, any part of that old nature that's in Brother Charles today is going to be seen at all when we are glorified. There may be people who know Brother Charles a lot longer than I have who have seen mortification happen in his life, but when I look at him, I, I've only known him for five or six years. So I only see the, the past five or six years. I don't remember anything else. When we're seen in our glorification, because we're going to be more than conquerors, we're not going to remember anything else. Not that, we won't, not that we won't remember in a sense that we give God glory for what he's done, but none of it's going to matter. We're not going to bring up anything that's ever happened or any way that they used to be because everything's going to be completely done away with. And how is it done away with practically in our lives here? It's done away with that mortification. We're just reflecting what's going to happen. We're in that process of glorification that's going to take place. We're doing this that we may live. And again, it's, it, it's not, it's not a, a requirement. It's a product. It's happening. The end of mortification in the scriptures is life. And ironically, the beginning of life is death. We live in the spirit. That, that's, that's the paradox of the Christian life. In the spirit, we live daily to die so that we can die to live. In the flesh, we die daily to die so that we can die. We live to die. 
or we die to live. That's the choices that we have. And that's what Paul's saying in this verse of Scripture. He's saying if you do these things, you're going to live. If you're daily dying, you're going to live. It's not a requirement. It's a process. He's saying because this is happening, this is what's going to happen. But he's giving us this this responsibility. He's giving us this practical application to our glorification. He's not just stopping to say, look, you are no longer under condemnation and you are going to be taken to heaven and be glorified and be like Christ in every way, shape, and form. But he's giving us some practical things on our way. And what he's saying to us is to not let our habits be training our sin, but to be killing our sin. Again, we can't forget that we are responsible. We're not just, as the term goes, we're not just letting go and letting God. Because God requires us to be an active part in our Christian life. I don't just stick myself into neutral when I go to work every day. Because whenever a coworker comes up that's been annoying me and says something stupid, if I just let go and let God, it's not going to turn out very good. I know because I've done that before. I've just let things go, and then when I let go, I fall off the handle or fly off the handle. That's what happens when we let go. We're to completely and internally being hold on to the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> Again, Paul, this is, this is no different than what Paul's saying to us in Ephesians. He's saying that we are to take the sword of the Spirit and cut away the works of the flesh. That's what we're doing. But what we have a tendency to do too many times is to train our sin to only come out at certain times instead of taking the sword of the Spirit and stabbing it in the heart. We train it. We say, okay, well, I am, I am going to train my sin so that nobody sees me do this. I'm going to wait till my family's gone. And I'm going to wait till I have this certain period of time and I'm going to train myself so that my sin only comes up when I know it's convenient for me. Paul's not saying to do that. Paul is saying that our job is to mortify sin wherever we find it. That is our obligation. And that's what John Owen in his book, the the quote that's known from that book is, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's the quote that's known from that whole entire book. And his whole point is, that that's our job. Our gospel obligation, from what Paul said to us, we're debtors. We're obligated to do this. This is our, if we want to look at it in a sense, it's our duty. Not in, not in a way where we have to or we will lose our salvation, but it's our duty to do these things because of what we've been given. And that's where, that's where we, again, we've got to understand what the scriptures say when they're saying what they say. And we can only do that through walking down through scriptures to see what they say, what they say when they say it. That's that's why everything that we've done, that's the reason we've gone through 46 weeks in Romans, is to see exactly what Paul's saying. I don't want to know what somebody says Paul's saying, just let Paul speak for himself. Because Paul was inspired. And I hate to break to everybody, but I am not inspired. I am not an inspired teacher. I'm not an inspired preacher. I'm not an inspired writer. So why don't we let God say 
what God says through the one he's inspired to say it. And what he said to us is that it's our obligation, it's our responsibility from the day that we are saved up until the day that we are glorified, the day that we take our last breath and we are mortified in our flesh. It's our duty, it's our obligation. It's our debt, if we want to use the word that Paul uses, to do these things. To make people see the gospel and not see that dead man that we're carrying around. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance and an opportunity to be in your house this evening.